welcome to the Book of Mormon Evidence podcast with host Rod Meldrum. This week's Come Follow Me supplemental study is lesson number 30, Alma 39 through 42, The Great Plan of Happiness. Rod's guest this week is Lynette Hadley Reed. She has published over 20 articles in the Ensign Meridian Magazine, Journal of Book of Mormon Studies, and Encyclopedia of Mormonism. She has published four books, one by Desert Book, and has lectured at Education Week, CES symposiums, and many conferences. Her Gospel Doctrine blog, which includes Book of Mormon geography, is posted on ldsgospeldoctrine.net. Graduating from BYU with a BA, she did postgraduate studies in religion at the University of Florida. Her major research has been on how Jewish holy days prophesied of Christ's major works, including the beginning of the days of awe at Hill Cumorah. They also hold significant prophecy for the future. Welcome everybody. We're glad to have you back. Uh, this is going to be uh, our, our next podcast here with our Come Follow Me supplemental uh, information series. It's going to be Alma chapters 39 through 42. And today I have with me a very special friend of mine. This is Lynette Reed. And uh, she, she's amazing. You're, you're going to love <laughs> the information that she's about to share with us. We've had an opportunity to discuss this a little bit before we started this podcast. And I'm, and I'm excited about hearing how this is going to go. <laughs> so, uh, Lynette, uh, why, why, actually, why don't you uh, tell us a little bit about yourself and, uh, and go, we'll go from there. Well, thank you, Rod. I'm excited to be here today. I, uh, I'm just an Idaho farm girl, but I was blessed to be born into a family that were, had strong missionary instincts, and, and they talked about the gospel a lot all the time in the house and around dinner and Sunday night. And so I developed a strong testimony and developed a strong desire to share my testimony. Um, we lived in the mission field for 40 years, and I shared my testimony with neighbors and the oh, and. Uh, acquaintances, etc. So where was that mission field at? Uh, well, <laughs> we moved around, so it was... Uh, <laughs> all over? <laughs> all over. <laughs> the, the eastern half of the United States. Uh, but then I also began to have the opportunity to write, and so I shared it through magazine articles, books, and conferences, and, and uh, through some of your conferences. Yes. And you've had uh, articles uh, in, like, The Insight, for example. Yes, I'm very and, uh, blessed. Other, I think I'm one of the few people who had a whole series of articles in the inside. Wow, yes. Yeah, can you tell us just a little bit about that? I mean, well, because yeah. I had written several articles um, for the Ensign, uh, they contacted me and asked me if I would do research and do research on how the Bible was written. And I love doing that research. I found out amazing things. And so it appeared as an eight-part series in 1982, How the Bible Came to Be. Oh, wow. <laughs> well, that's fantastic. I know that you have uh, some, some extended schooling and so forth. I mean, you know, you've been writing some things. And uh, in fact, uh, we're going to talk about one of your books here today. But uh, what are some of the other th of your passions? Besides writing? <laughs> well, I dabble a bit at gardening. I, of course, I love reading. And I have 23 grandchildren. That's my... <laughs> Five children and uh, 23 grandchildren, and yeah. I think it's 13 great-grandchildren now. I think I was giving myself an extra one, but my dad reminded, no, you only have 13. <laughs> <laughs> so those are my well, you're looking forward to number 14, right? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> well, that's fantastic. You have quite, a, quite an amazing uh, heritage that you've, that you've got uh, with your family. Well, let's, just, let's kind of jump into some things. We have uh, a lot to cover here, folks. Again, this is uh, Alma chapters 39 to 42. Um, and uh, this is in the Come Follow Me program, and uh, I, I, I usually mention this in the beginning of each, uh, of each episode that uh, we are not trying to cover everything in the lesson. That is for you to do, and this is for you to follow through and, and do that kind of thing. These are to basically take some aspects of the lesson and actually drill deep. So we actually, we're going to be talking about just a few of the scriptures, but actually we're going to be talking about quite a few of them in this section. There's a lot of great information here. So, uh, so, we're gonna, so if you have the uh, annotated edition of the Book of Mormon, that's what we're using here for, you know, as, a, um, as a reference material. Uh, so you can turn to page 281, or if you have your regular scriptures or on, on your phone or whatever, uh, this is Alma chapter 39. And, uh, and this is basically talking, to, this is Alma, as he is basically um, uh, kind of calling his son Corianton to a repentance and then encouraging him how he can overcome the sins that he's done. 
and it's just a, it's, it's just a fabulous uh, treatise on the plan of salvation, on the judgment, on, on uh, you know, what happens after this life, and so forth. So I uh, want to start off here a little bit here in, uh, in verse 3. This is, he, he's calling his son now, basically kind of to repentance. So he says, and this is not all, my son, thou didst do that which was grievous unto me. And he basically said, you went after uh, a, a harlot by the name of Isabel. And, uh, and then he basically said that this, these things are an abomination. This is verse 5. He said, these things are an abomination in the sight of the Lord, yea, most abominable above all sins, save it, has, save it be the shedding of in, innocent blood or the denying of the Holy Ghost. So there's really only two sins even worse than going after basically this harlot, Isabel, and that is killing innocent people and denying the Holy Ghost. So um, this is a pretty serious thing. It is, and, and isn't it sad that today we, uh, the Christian world in general has lost their sense of how serious sexual sin is. Uh, you know, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints is one of the few that still stands for strong, takes strong moral stands. And yeah. uh, many people believe that it's just the way of life, that there's new morality. Uh, they, you know, they've actually rejected the Bible. They rejected the Bible as being true. And so because of that, I think it's myths, and so because of that, they reject his teachings. Yeah. That's one of the reasons why we needed a second witness. We need the Book of Mormon to verify and to testify that what the Bible says is true. And the standards which the Bible teaches are true. And so it's true, you know, the Book of Mormon teaches us also that sexual sin is a grievous, grievous sin. Yeah. Well, why, why do you think it's so, um, that sexual sin is actually so, so bad? And why is it so prevalent in today's society? I mean, where, where today people actually um, identify themselves based on their sexuality. I mean, that is something that, as far as we know, it was not really something that was happening throughout most of humankind. Most people identified themselves as men and women, okay, for obvious reasons, <laughs> okay. But but their whatever their sexual preference is, now they're starting to try to get kids to identify what their what their preference is in, in kindergarten. Kids shouldn't even be thinking about these things at that point in their life. We we are over sexualizing these all, all of our children of our of our day by trying to put them in a particular camp well i think we have been taught that uh, you know that the lord gave men and women of course strong sexual drives so that they would perpetuate posterity yeah. that was the reason for it but uh, we perverted that and yeah. and uh, we have generally in society people have lost a desire to even have children in many cases they would rather have pets more and more, <laughs> more and more of them are not even marrying. Uh, you know, they they don't want to have families. They certainly don't want to have large families. Uh, yeah. Isaiah told us in the last days, good would be called evil, and evil would be called good. And, and this is an area where we really see that. Yeah, and it, men, men's hearts would go after their own, you know, uh, desires, their own lusts and their desires. But really, it comes to me. It kind of comes down to this, folks. What was the first great, the first commandment um, that ever was given to human beings on the earth, which is Adam and Eve? It was to multiply and to replenish, replenish the earth, <laughs> to bring life to the earth. Yeah, and, uh, and, and one of the things that I like to bring up, and that is that um, you know, science has been, um, has been for generations now trying to learn how life happens <laughs> and, and actually trying to create life or, or even back, go back and speculate how many you know, bazillions of years ago life suddenly just appeared on this planet. But it's interesting that no matter how much money they have spent, and they've spent billions upon billions of dollars trying to figure out the very foundations of creating life, to date, it's been an utter failure they have not been able to create the simplest life form. So when you think about this, basically this is, this is a blessing that God gave to us as human beings and also to animals and plants and so forth, the ability to create life. 
And that ability is so essential to the entire plan of salvation that we're going to be talking about here. But it's also essential to basically God's happiness and what he, what he wants for his children. He, he needs to have children and he had, he should take bodies for the children that he has spiritually created, basically, in, in the spirit. And he needs bodies for them so that we can progress. You know, one of the scriptures that, uh, that interests me is the Lord saying <clears throat> that he will, through Israel, he will plant the heavens. What does that mean? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, oh, you plant really, the heavens. <laughs> you really think about it, it means we know that... Uh, the number of worlds are beyond our counting, beyond our ability to count. Joseph Smith was the first one who taught us this, that there were yeah. worlds without number. Now scientists say, there are worlds without number. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but they don't, why were they all created, you know? Uh, we yeah. know that God is continuing to create planets and life beyond this one because he is continuing to plant and will continue to plant the heavens. <laughs> and uh, he has a purpose. We will talk about that when we talk about the plan of salvation, but these, are, these things are all related. Yeah. I, I want to, uh, as we, as we kind of get into this, we're gonna, we'll bring this up a couple times during the lesson, but one of the things I wanted to bring up, and that is that um, many of you may have heard of the Hubble Deep Space um, images, um, and then they have the uh, Ultra deep, deep Space. And just for a little bit of background on that, um, they, they wanted to test out the Hubble Space Telescope to see if it could pick up any light in what would what they considered to be the darkest place in the sky. So if you take a look up in the in the northern hemisphere of the sky and you and you pick that they picked the, the place where that seemed to be no stars. It was just pure darkness. They wanted to see if they could pick something up in that space. They I, I've actually heard the heard it said that if you took a if you had a straw and you made that straw 18 feet long and you took that straw and looked through the straw at the darkest point in the, in the northern hemisphere sky, that's the place where Hubble Deep Space was shot. They wanted to see if it would pick up anything. And to their utter amazement, when they got the image back from Hubble Deep Space, um, that little spot in the sky had over 2,500 galaxies in it <laughs> that they could see and count. And, uh, and, then, and then when you, when you consider that in comparison with all the rest of the sky, um, it truly is absolutely just mind-altering the, the sheer number of stars and planets. And every, every one of those galaxies has, has multiple planets and so forth through that. So yeah. we're talking about without end is, is literal, yeah. The Lord, um, you know, revealed to Joseph Smith and to us the purposes of life and that uh, families would continue but on this life and some people laugh at us about that belief but if they actually go back to the scriptures from the very beginning the Lord himself taught this yeah. it's just that people don't understand them for example the very key blessings he gave to Abraham Isaac and Jacob so they repeated several times was the promise of a promise a covenant land and seed without number now yeah. some people have come to realize that the covenant land meant more than just Canaan on this earth, <laughs> but also had a witness of eternal life, of life in heaven. That is the true, the ultimate it's promised the ultimate land. promised land. Yes. There's promises. But, there. Yeah. so some people have come to realize that, but they haven't realized, but when he also promised seed without number, that is also <laughs> something that goes beyond this life. I mean, Abraham, yes, he had seed without number, but didn't everybody else <laughs> who had large families during his age? as that came down through the generations. So what the Lord was speaking of then, well, of then was the promise not only of eternal life, but of lives, families beyond this life. Yeah. So this has been taught from the beginning, it's just that people haven't understood it. This may be an odd question. So, so then why is Alma then taking Corianton to task here for basically wanting to have seed, have more seed with the harlot Isabel? Well, he wasn't having seed. He was only expressing his his lustful lustful desires. That's you right. Seed and family that way. You have That's it right. through a committed family. That's right. Yeah. And this is and this this is such a critical thing and something that we are literally losing in our in our culture and our society today, and that is the very purpose for 
relations, and specifically sexual relations, and, uh, and, and what is that purpose about? Um, because we've had it, it, it's been really um, altered. I mean, you know, the, 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 the whole thing has been altered. It's, it's about our own personal um, enjoyment or that kind of thing, and has very little to do actually with the bringing forth of life um, into this earth. And, and creating for ourselves and our God a perpetual heritage. Yeah, thank you, because, you know, it is through our seed and raising righteous children that we help glorify our Father who is in heaven. <laughs> you know, which is, which we, after all he's given us, we definitely need to try to do, to yeah. glorify him and to honor him for the things that he has blessed us yeah. with, the power to have children, for yeah. example, he's blessed us with, and to bring forth righteous children to honor him is, is important. Well, let me tell you, folks, uh, some, some of the um, things we're going to be talking about in this are things that you're, you're probably not going to see in an average uh, you know, gospel doctrine class because it's things that are kind of some, for some people are uncomfortable. I just want you to know that when it comes down to the scriptures, that we are not ashamed of what the scriptures say, and we are not uncomfortable talking about the things that the scriptures say. If, if these are, things are uncomfortable to folks, most of the time it's because they are strained from the scriptures and they do not believe that the scriptures are still valid in our day. Um, that's not how we feel. Scriptures are 100% valid, will always be valid. God's ways are not our ways and our knowledge is not God's knowledge. So I want to go into verse 7 for just a second here. It says, oh yes, please. I know more than one family who joined the church and after they joined the church, because of its teachings, they had larger families. Yeah. <laughs> because their attitude and their understanding changed, and they realized how important families were, and so they added to their families yeah. with their new understanding. Yes. Yep. Which glorifies our Father in heaven. So, I, so this, this, is, this is my caveat here for everybody here. I'm going to read it right out of verse 7 here of chapter 39. This is again on page 281 in the Annotated Book of Mormon. It says, And now, my son, I would to God that ye had not been guilty of so great a crime, I would not dwell upon your crimes to harrow up your soul if it were not for your good. <laughs> and so a lot of people are offended because, oh, well, you know, well, well, nowadays people are offended for anything and everything. But being offended is something that obviously it's an emotion that we have as humans and it's, and it's for a purpose. Um, sometimes it can be for good things, but sometimes it can also, you know, if... if if somebody offends you or whatever, they may be wanting to, to do harm to you, but not everyone who offends you is trying to harm you. Many times those who may offend you are trying to save you. Right, and I think to help our youth today, you know, because they are approached with false ideas from the very beginning. It is so important to take upon, for peers to take upon them the responsibility of teaching their youth from the very beginning the true principles of procreation and uh, to help them to have positive understanding from the very beginning. So if we want to help protect our children and guide them, we begin very early and, uh, and there are ways to do that. Yeah. I just wonder, how, how, how well do you think we do as a society, and, and specifically in the church, at teaching our children about these concepts that we're talking about right now? I don't think we've done very well. <laughs> <laughs> well, I tell you, we're going to get into this a little bit more because uh, Alma basically tells us uh, what some of the effects of this abrogation of our responsibility to teach our children truths and true principles and, um, and instead try to coddle and to, uh, you know, and, and, well, we don't want to offend anyone. But here we have Alma openly, def you know, I mean, basically calling his son out, if you will, and putting it right in a book. And apparently this calling out was so important that, that Moroni, or, or I should say Mormon, felt it was important to put it from their record into the, into the, the, the ultimate, you know, the gold plates here. And uh, so that tells you that Brothers and sisters, sometimes when things offend you, it gives you an opportunity to do like Alma is going to be talking about here and re-examine yourself and say, okay, if I'm offended by this, why am I being offended by this? Because if it's the Lord and I'm being offended by the Lord, maybe it's my problem, not the Lord's problem. 
And so, uh, so he says, uh, he said, Behold, ye cannot hide your crimes from God, and except you repent, they will stand as a testimony against you at the last day. And Alma did not want his sons and his life to basically stand as a testimony against him. So he's calling him out to some extent and saying, Hey, you know what? Sin's going to be on your head because I taught you better. <laughs> okay? But the main purpose is, is not, to, not to basically try to get himself off the hook. His point is he wants his son to be with him there in the celestial kingdom. And, uh, and he's not going to be if he continues on this path. And, you know, I'm not criticizing Alma's having to talk to Korean at this stage of his life. I'm sure he taught before, but yes. for parents, again, it's really important to start early. And it isn't enough just to make sure they don't have access to um, pornography by, you know, by default filters. Yeah. You need to begin with correct principles because they're going to leave home at some point. And if they've just been in a life of shutting them off from everything, they're going to begin to explore at some point. And so you need yeah. to teach correct principles from the beginning and make sure that that is their rod to hold on to. Pornography is basically everywhere. Yes. In the world today, um, I, I just remember being on my mission in Milan, Italy, and, uh, and they had these newsstands all over on the streets. And coming, coming from Logan, Utah, this was a, a, a huge shock to me. <laughs> so forth that they would have all these pictures of naked people basically out there in big posters right out there in the public. I'm like, holy cow. I'm like, I'm in, I mean, how, how do you have kids in that situation? And I, I mean, I saw, I, there was, it was so prevalent that I was beginning to wonder, were there, are there any women at all here? in Europe that have not posed nude for, you know, for these magazines and so forth. I'm like, good grief. I mean, it's literally everywhere. But what was really in Europe now is, is the United States now. More and more, it's, I mean, we're just oh, yes. like everybody else now. Oh, yeah. Oh, but, yeah. In fact, uh, the United States is now the largest purveyor of pornography in the world. Yeah, there, there's, there's a lot of, to do about that. But this, I want to point this out. This, this in, in the Entertainment Book of Mormon, we actually have uh, italicized these two words. I want to kind of get your, your take, and those of you who are listening up here, um, what do you think about, what do, what do these two words mean? This is verse 9 of chapter 39. It says, And now, my son, I would that you should repent and forsake your sins, and go no, no more after the lusts of your eyes, but cross yourself. That's the two words, cross yourself, and all these things. For except ye do this, ye can in no wise inherit the kingdom of God, Oh, remember and take it upon you and cross yourself in these things. What do you think cross yourself means? Well, we know from the footnotes it means self-mastery, but, but I don't know, does this relate to the Savior's uh, use of the cross? Um, something you take upon your, yourself to give you strength and to um, give you sort of a ramrod in your back. <laughs> <laughs> Well, yeah, I'm reminded personally of that, like in, in, a, in, a, um, in a court of law, you have, you know, the prosecution, and they, and they, they present their side, and then they have the de defense, and they present their side, and then each one of them get to cross-examine themselves. So I think maybe that's, this is, could be a, in a similar sense, that we cross-examine our lives. We have our, our life, we're going about it in a, in a certain way, he says, basically, he's, he's telling his son Corianton to cross yourself in these things. And I'm just wondering if that means like cross-examine yourself. In other words, take a good deep look at what your life is doing. And if you need to make changes, make changes. Go in a different direction. That's one of the things that's interesting about a cross is, is that it um, goes opposite directions. So it is taking it upon you and cross yourself. So I don't know. It yeah. could mean, but definitely... Both are true, I lots, think. Lots of, lots of different ways to, uh, <laughs> right. to take a look at these things. I think we basically know what he's saying. Yeah, yeah, okay. Uh, verse 12, and now the, the, and now the Spirit of the Lord doth say unto me, Command thy children to do good. Now that's, that, that first part of it's interesting. This is actually the Lord here speaking, because it's, it's, it's the Spirit of the Lord that said this. Command thy children to do good. Don't suggest that they do good. He says, command that they do good lest they lead away the hearts of many people to destruction. Which, of course, we see here in Alma with Alma the Younger and the, the sons of Mosiah 
and so forth, and, and how much damage did they do? You know, if, if you don't teach, and, and I, I see this all the time within the church, if, if some parents don't teach their kids proper principles, then when they become friends with other people's kids, then they have a tendency to lead them and, or, or pull them off the path, and it can become a really bad situation, just like it was with Alma and the sons of Mosiah. They literally pull themselves out, out of the church. Okay, you know, you've already, you mentioned this before. This is, I told you that I've written many things, and this is another reason why I have written uh, this book. It's actually for teenagers. Um, there, uh, it goes into ways that, that? the ways that you can teach them human the importance of human intimacy of sexual relationships, but from the perspective of the eternal view. And um, I've had children read it, and they gave me their comments. Uh, being a teenager in today's world is hard, but this book helps put things in the proper perspective and strengthens my courage to wait for the proper time for intimacy. And uh, this is a boy, 13, it helped me more fully understand and learn about procreation in a very good and spiritual way. So uh, this is my effort to try to help. <laughs> I try to use these pencils teaching my own children, and uh, um, I'd like to share it with others as well, if anyone's interested. And, uh, and I just want to say that, that this, is, this is my um, copy of your, <laughs> of your effort. <laughs> my personal copy, I had to bring it in uh, today because uh, I, I wanted to share a couple, of, a couple of things from this that I think are just, just really beautiful and powerful here. Um, in the preface, uh, Lynette said this. I should probably have you read this, but should no, I, should I should a second okay. witness is better. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. She says that, that this is in the preface. She said the sexual relationship between a man and a woman, when experienced as the Lord intended, is beautiful, sacred, and essential for the preservation of mankind. But the world is awash with false and destructive portrayals of it. We want to talk about basically what you call higher views of this. You know, whereas uh, there, there's, there is a physical part of this, but what I think so many times, and I think this hurts so many different couples and their relationships, is when the, the, um, the intimacy basically becomes one of just physical and there's not the love and there's not the commitment and there's not the, the uh, desire to serve one another basically. And to, uh, and to also, um, and, and we, again, we continue to forget that the main purpose of this is to create life, to create bodies for the spirits that God has waiting to come down to this earth. He said, For to the Lord the principles of procreation are so pure that, uh, that, he, that uh, he uses them as teaching patterns. That's amazing, isn't it, that uh, the Lord does use... Uh, the human intimacy to teach patterns of the gospel. <laughs> and I show how he does that in many ways. Yeah, in, in this book, it's, it's awesome. I just want to read a couple, couple other little, little portions here. So it, said, it says, uh, she said, God's happiness and glory derive from his powers to, to create. Marvelous things exist because of his creative mind and righteous exercise of authority. As the pattern of all living things is that life begets like, and there is no being greater than himself, the peak of God's creative powers is to bring forth life, life like himself. And uh, just, I, I, I love that, uh, that aspect of it as well. Um, if that's the, the glory of God, basically it's intelligence and, and, uh, and truth and so forth, right? But he also, but he talks about this, uh, the, you know, what is the point of having intelligence and truth if you don't have people or, you know, life like himself to be able to actually pass that on to. And you see the joy of a husband and wife in bringing forth a child, uh, which is part of both of them, and yeah. uh, the anticipation of the potential of this life. It, it's such a joyous thing. It's the highest joy yeah. that you can have in life. Yeah. I had a, uh, Amberly Nelson in a, in a uh, conference that we did with her, and she, she, she explained a little bit about um, how this process is looked forward to basically by uh, people who have of the Jewish faith, basically the Jewish culture. 
and how... But it came down from Israelite. Yes, it, it, it's the Israelites thing. Yeah, would, you, would you like to tell us a little bit more about kind of some of the preparations that go into before intimacy happens? No, I think you know more about okay. that. <laughs> well, I've had four kids and you've had five, so I mean, you know. But, anyway, but, but the bottom line is, is that she said that, um, that um, in the, I don't know if you want to call it Israelite or Hebrew heritage, couples that were, um, were ready to have a family, ready to make a family, basically, and that they would actually go through a ritual cleansing process that uh, preceded them actually uh, ending up with the act of inti in intimacy, which is essentially um, they, would, they would humble themselves, they would pray, they would wash themselves so they were clean uh, you know, physically. They would also try to uh, expose any, any immor immorality or impure thoughts and so forth. Um, a lot of times that's involved, like the, the, the woman would take a mikvah bath and so forth in anticipation. Then when the two of them would actually get together, the idea was is that they are going to give this child the most, you know, every possible opportunity to begin its very existence in cleanliness and purity. Yes. And filled with love and filled with passion with each other. And, uh, and, that, and, the, and this love that, that exists between a husband and wife that have been legally and lawfully married. And th those kind of things are not, I mean, it is a physical passion. Obviously, God made that so it would be one of the most intense, most amazing experiences that, is, that it's possible for humans to have, which is why we crave that to some extent. But, uh, but also... To, to really drive home right into our, our very souls and into our brains that this is one of the most most superlative acts that can that humans can have in, in the process of actually creating life which science cannot do. This is as close as we can become to being a god in that sense on this in this earth is when we create new life. And I love the other tradition uh, that even when they are married uh, they're married under, <clears throat> traditionally, they're married under the stars, something that either stars or, some, or lights representing stars. And they do that because of the Abrahamic promise, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob promise of uh, seed without number. <laughs> so this is also an anticipation of something that glorifies not just them, but, their, but God, the eternal. Okay, I've got, to, I've got to find that real quick because she has a beautiful way of explaining that in the book here. <laughs> so, 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 anyway, this is on page 48 of, again, this is the eternal view of human intimacy. Um, she said, true seed without number will be to continue to bear offspring as part of eternal life. This understanding is shown in Israelite weddings when the couple are often married under a chuppah or a wedding canopy set up under the stars or they put lights up representing the stars. This tradition proclaims the Abrahamic covenant that, if faithful, a couple's seed will be like the stars in the heavens, that is, they will be without number. And so when they, when they, on, the, on the very wedding feast and the wedding day, and that evening, they are in, they're supposed to be in an outside setting so they can look up at the stars as a reminder Kind of reminds me of Lion King, <laughs> the show Lion King, you know. They look up at the stars and their ancestors up there, right? Now, it's interesting, you know, the uh, sister room in the Provo Temple, uh, and I've been told that it represents a huppa if you look up, so. Oh, is that right? Oh, yeah. Yes. And, the, and, the, and the chandeliers and all of the, all of the different sparkling. You see, you, you can't even grasp all the sparkles that are going on simultaneously off of the, the, the crystals in the chandeliers. And that's a representation of the same thing, these, these stars and, 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 and worlds without end and, and posterity without end. But you can't have posterity without end if you don't have a start, if you don't have a beginning, which is why procreation is one of the single most um, misunderstood but also most important aspects that we have. In and most gospel. beautiful when it's truly understood and lived according to God's law. Yeah. Of course, uh, you know, the, the, according to the, uh, the creation, you know, Adam was, was uh, the first man you know, on the earth. But then there came Eve, 
So she was, she, now, now you, you said something very, I thought was really profound here. She said Eve was the finishing piece, the capstone of all creation. She was not an afterthought. <laughs> she was the absolute final piece in the puzzle needed for the furthering of God's magnificent purposes. Without her, there would be no further life, no earthly life or eternal life. Because you can't have eternal life in the, in the post-existence, basically, unless you've had a body. This is why, brothers and sisters, this is such a critical subject that we're talking about here with Alma and Corianton here. Um, there's, there's, this is, a one, I'll just read one more. I, there's so many good things in here, but I'll just read one more little part here. This is from page 27. It says, but for all the acts of mankind, one great act is the act of procreation. The power to create another life is indeed a majestic act. The power to create another being in one's own image may be the greatest act of all. But so many times it's, it it's just taken for granted. Yeah, it's right. It's how far we have fallen. Yeah. <laughs> how far yeah. we have fallen. But and, I, and, and I think one other last thing that you point out in this book that I think a lot of us have a tendency to just kind of ignore or forget or we read it and we don't really maybe understand. Brethren and sisters, I, I just got to read this little part here. It says, this power will not always be given to men or women. It ceases at death and barrenness reigns in its stead unless the Lord continues to bestow that power and he, promised, and he has promised that he will, will restore that power if we make and keep sacred covenants. For the power to create new life is a godly power. It will only be bestowed, bestowed forever on those who will use the power for godly purposes. Thus, this great act should be done as an act of sacrament. It's Elder Holland who's talked about yeah. human intimacy as a sacrament, which I love. Yep, this, this majestic act can be done with the greatest purposes. The more one can make this a sacred act, the more it will be, will bring the truest of joys. And uh, so, yeah, there's, 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 anyway, great book if you have a chance. Where can they get this at? Digital Legend Press is the publisher. Okay. Yeah, yeah and, and, uh, and we'll have it up on our bookstore too, so you can get it from, from get it from the bookstore. If you go to bookofmormonevidence.org at our bookstore, we have great. tons and tons of stuff there, but you'll be able to get that great. book here, so. All right, we need to keep going on, on here because we've got some other great things to cover. So um, let's see. What were some of the other things that we wanted to talk about? Surely this is in, in, uh, in, in verse 16. He talks about, uh, well, actually, starting from verse 15, Alma preaches on the coming of Christ to Corianton. And uh, basically said, Christ is going to come. But apparently Alma must have had some pretty good inside information here because he, he said, uh, you know, you might be wondering why we're, you know, I'm, I'm kind of bringing this to you, you know, in verse 17, why these things should be made known so long beforehand, because he probably knows that Corianton's not going to probably still be alive by the time Christ comes, right. you know, but his children will be, and so this is what he says, uh, he says in verse uh, 16, he says, now my son, this was the ministry unto which ye are called to declare these glad tidings unto this people, to prepare their minds, or rather that salvation might come unto them, that they may prepare the minds of their children to hear their words at the time of his coming. So basically he's giving them a forewarning. Teach your kids because they're probably going to be the ones who Christ is going to come to, and they need to understand that they need to make sure that they're there. They need to make sure that they're spiritually prepared so they can be at that temple in the land bountiful when Christ comes. So, so we need to prepare to be ready for his yeah, coming exactly. and prepare our children. Exactly. So I think that that's an interesting thing. So, so here we have Alma basically saying how important your posterity is. Because Corianton is his posterity, but he knows that Corianton's posterity needs to be ready because Christ is coming. And it won't be long before he's there. Again, this is just, we're trying to reiterate the fact that how important it is that we as parents teach our children to be faithful followers of the gospel. He goes on and explains more of the um, plan of salvation. Of course, the church has taught us fully the plan of salvation and uh, how yes. blessed we are to have that. I know that I have, as I said, I lived for 40 years in the mission field, so I talked to a lot of... <laughs> friends, even the uh, Lutheran minister's wife, <laughs> uh, 
And uh, it was interesting to hear the comments I received. Of course, today, people believe that the whole life just began by accident, you know, a big bang and all that. So it has no purpose. And, and uh, I, I remember talking to another friend who said that they were taught that uh, life created man because he likes stories. And I, <laughs> I'm sorry, I don't mean to belittle, but I just thought how, how less an understanding that is of, of God because we know that he created man to bring to pass or created the earth to bring to pass the immortality and eternal life of man. And uh, we know it's that we've existed before, we know where we're going, the whole plan of salvation has been laid out for us. And it's a wonderful blessing to have this understanding. Yeah, it's a glorious plan because basically, for a lot of people who, who do believe in, in Christ Christianity, you know, they, they, they talk about you know, there's just two, two places, heaven and hell. And, at that, and after this life, you go to one or the other, and that's it. And, and one of them is really this wonderful place where you can sing and, and play harps all day, and the other one is basically you're burning in fire, and you're in constant pain and anguish for the rest of eternity. I remember... That doesn't really sound like a very loving God to me. <laughs> I remember hear, hearing Elder Gary Coleman uh, talk about his conversion yeah. experience. You know, he was uh, raised in a very devout faith, uh, very devout parents, and he actually had was preparing to become a priest and had yep. been invited to retreats to help prepare him for that. Uh, but he was attending Washington State as a young man, and <clears throat> he saw a flyer saying, <laughs> inviting people to come to hear the Mormon Church's view of, of eternal life. And uh, because he was interested in religion, that he became curious, and he said he couldn't help himself. He was drawn to the building where that was being held, but he didn't dare go in because he'd been taught that it was a sin even to hear what other people believe. But he walked back and forth and back and forth <laughs> trying to decide what to do. Finally, he couldn't control his, himself and he went in and he saw on the map the plan of salvation with pre-mortal existence, mortal life, you know, the, the life afterward with the spirit prison and, and the paradise and then three degrees of glory. And he says he just looked at that and heard what they were t teaching, and he knew immediately it was true. This was what converted him. Wow. Just that it was, he saw this beautiful plan of a wise God who had purpose and meaning and uh, wisdom, and uh, he knew it was true. Yeah, Elder Gary Coleman, he is a personal dear friend of mine, and I, and I just I'm, admire him to without end. He's an amazing individual. In fact, uh, he, he has uh, helped us in, in, in many different ways over the years. And uh, so, yeah, that's really, I, I'm so grateful for that, uh, that opportunity he had back in that time to, uh, to become a member of the church because he's, what, what an influence he's had on so many people. It's beautiful. So um, let's see, so uh, last, last a couple of things here in this chapter. This is, uh, again, we're still in chapter 40. Um, it talks about this, this space. There's a space between death and the resurrection of the body. This is, this is what no one else knows. Okay? And uh, because they just thought, you know, you die and you just immediately go to one or the other, right? And a state of the soul in happiness or in misery until the time, which is appointed of God, that the dead shall come forth and be reunited, both soul and body. See, I think that's another, that's another concept that's not really well understood outside of our gospel is that is you know that the, the the physical body and the spirit both reunite together yes because they don't believe that god has a body <laughs> and there's no sense that you know and and, and uh, so why would we have a body if god you know doesn't have one and be brought to stand before god and be judged according to their works so it's not so you mean it's not just enough to just say i believe i take jesus christ as my savior and that's that's not enough. You can still, I mean, why can't you still go out and sin and do other stuff? If you, as long as you've said that, I mean, what's, what's the problem with that? that? <laughs> yes, and through additional revelation, we know even more wondrous is that those who are in spirit prison aren't just left there. <laughs> Christ, you know, went to teach them, and as someone pointed out, he didn't just go there to lambast them. <laughs> uh, he went to teach them and to bear witness to them. And uh, through revelations from Joseph Fielding Smith, uh, we know that these people in spirit prisons were, 
have the opportunity still to be taught. For many of them haven't heard the gospel, they will have the opportunity to be taught uh, with under better circumstances they are in this <laughs> life and to have ordinances prepared for them so that they might move forward uh, as well. So the Lord loves every individual. He did not favor just a few, and this is the great beauty of the gospel. He did just not elect a few to be saved, but he prepared the way for everyone eventually to hear the gospel, to have their saving ordinances performed, and to, and to be saved according to their belief in Christ and their... So when is it too late? <laughs> when, is it, when is it too late? You know, I, I've had these discussions actually with different people about, uh, for example, I've asked people, um, so, as a church, do we believe in deathbed repentance? In other words, can we just wait until the last second and say, you know, oh, I'm so sorry, I repent, and, and it's all good? And most people in the church will say, no, we don't believe in deathbed repentance. And then I have to remind them, yeah, we believe in after-death repentance. <laughs> <laughs> so, I don't think it matters too much if they did it right at the last minute, if, it, if it's a sincere repentance, but it's probably not a sincere repentance if they were sinning if, if they're, and, th and this goes into something that Alma says here that I think is so critical, and I think we really need to understand this. And this is basically in chapter 41, um, and in verse, verse 3, that we are judged according to two different things. The one of them is our works, which it says, it said there in, um, in the previous chapter, it says, in verse, verse 3 it says, and it, and it is requisite with the justice of God that men should be judged according to their works. So that's the first thing, according to what you actually do. And if their works were good in this life and the desires of their hearts were good, wait, 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 wait a minute. I thought you just judged according to what you actually do. But apparently here it's saying you're also going to be judged according to the desire of your hearts. And all of a sudden it makes sense now why Christ said things like, for example, he said, you know, um, that, that thou shalt not commit adultery. But he says, but if you look upon a woman to lust after her, you've committed adultery in your heart, which apparently is about as bad, or at least that he's, he's saying that this is... Now, now if they don't actually um, do it, then is, I guess, is the works... You know, in other words, if, if, I, if, if somebody harbors that in their, in their heart and in their mind but they don't actually act upon it, um, does that mean that they're okay? <laughs> well, Apparently not. not. <laughs> and I've heard even, even the mafia <laughs> do some good things. They sometimes give money to the poor, sure. et cetera, because... Uh, and if you well, Satan always has some, some amount of truth and some amount of yes. things so that he can make his deception. Oh. Right. Yeah. But I, I just think that's fascinating. I wanted, I wanted to kind of talk about that just a little bit more because there are so many aspects of this that, that I didn't really realize until when, when you see this. He says everything is going to be restored to its natural frame. So, for example, if, if someone um, really wants to commit adultery, they really want to lust after somebody else and so forth in their whole life, but, they, but yet they don't do it. Or maybe somebody who really does want to actually go out and, um, and steal stuff from other people. But because it's against the law and they don't want to end up going to jail, they don't do it. But their hope is always that they would, oh man, you know, I, I, I always got this temptation. I always want to go steal stuff. Or there's any of the Ten Commandments, basically, that you, thou shalt not. If any of those are things that you really want to do in your heart of hearts, even if you don't do it, Apparently, there's going to be some kind of a judgment about that because you have to purge that from your heart. Right. The Lord has made many statements which shows that he does judge according to the heart. You know, even uh, the rich man who gave a lot of money and the widow who gave just a mite, yeah. <laughs> you know, but it was, it was why they were giving and how much they were giving, uh, how much of a sacrifice it was. So the heart is the key yeah. thing of judgment, I think. I wonder if the, con if the converse is true then. <laughs> what if you have good things in your heart, but you occasionally, you know, you just mess up. There's just something that comes along, and you weren't really intending to do it, but all of a sudden it just presents itself, and you, just, and you make a dumb decision. Happens all the time. Thank heavens for repentance. <laughs> yeah. Alma talks about that. But, but I like the idea that God looks on the heart. 
So maybe that's one of the things we can look at that uh, say, you know what, if we're trying our best, then maybe God will look on our heart and he'll know, really we were trying, but man, you know, we just had this chocolate problem and we just had to have chocolate. I'll let know. <laughs> I'm a kind of a chocoholic myself, so that's the problem. But anyway, so, you know, but, uh, but maybe uh, he'll look a little bit more, uh, I don't know if lenient is the right word, but uh, with, with that love that he has, that, you know what, this is a person who really has the heart to bless other people's lives, the heart to follow me, the, the, the will that this is what the person wanted. They wanted good in their life. Yes, and, you know, we do believe, Mormons do believe in grace. <laughs> uh, you know, we do know that his grace blesses us every day in our lives and will, and just made, and he will bless those just many, but, just men made perfect through the atonement of Jesus Christ. So he knows we won't be perfect when we end this life, even if we tried. And so his grace is there, his forgiveness is there, his continuing to work with us because we have made it far enough <laughs> that we can still continue to grow and progress after this life. That's the wonderful thing we also believe, that we can continue to grow and progress. Well, I, I just love this great discourse with Alma because he's basically taking you know, Corianton through this process, essentially, of, and, and telling him, this, this is how you do it. You know, you've, you've made a mistake. You know, I want you to repent. I want you to come back. Here's how you do it. This is why you're doing it. I mean, he's given him everything he needs to know to really come to an understanding of this. So it's, he says, um, uh, he said in, in verse 6, and, it, and, it, and so it is on the other hand, if he shall... If he hath repented of his sins and desired righteousness until the end of his days, even so shall he be rewarded unto righteousness. And then he basically goes into uh, this whole thing about uh, this is this, this is another fascinating subject that we wanted to, to, to kind of flesh out a little bit, because some people have have wondered, well, okay, so who gets to decide you know which kingdom we're going to be in? You now after the judgment. You know, Christ is going to be there with you and you're going to stand before, before God and Christ is going to basically say, okay, you know, uh, he's going to either vouch for you because you've repented or he's going to be probably just, just sitting there silent while you try to vouch for yourself as to explain why you did what you did in this life. Because you didn't repent of it and so Christ can't take on him sins that you didn't give to him. If you retain those sins, then they're on you. And so, so is it a situation where basically... Uh, then God goes, okay, you, you you're terrestrial. You, you're going to be terrestrial. You, you're going to be celestial, but second degree. <laughs> okay, whatever. Um, I don't really see it coming down like that. Yes, and the Book of Mormon and other LDS scriptures do make it clear that, uh, you know, if we come into the presence of God and we are unclean, we are not going to feel comfortable being in his presence. They say this more more than once, you know, can you, staying with your sins, enter in the presence of Abraham and, and uh, Isaac, who were clean, and, uh, you know, we won't feel comfortable with them and if we have not cleansed ourselves through Christ's atoning. And that means repenting and living <laughs> the best of our ability and more righteously. If you like this Come Follow Me supplemental study, click the like button and share it with your friends. You can also send your family and friends to bookofmormonevidence.org, which is a hub with all the links that you would like to the podcasts, to upcoming events, the store, at the 400 answers to the Book of Mormon. Also, don't forget, this summer you can have a spiritual boost every day by going to bookofmormonevidencestreaming.com.